So this next session, we are going to be talking about dealing with pests and diseases in the garden. And just before we jump into it, um, I want to touch real quickly on compost because we were talking about how you can mulch with compost and, and stuff like that. By the way, the number one thing that you can do to improve your soil, no matter where it's at, so you know, forget soil tests or anything like that. The number one thing you can do to improve your soil is to add quality compost or quality organic matter to your soil, whether that is mulching it on top of your soil or mixing it into your soil. It will help with water retention. If your soil has too much sand and, it's, and you have too much drainage, it will help with opening up your soil. So creating more porous space if you have too much clay in your soil. It's just a buffer that helps on, on pretty much every level. So that's kind of the number one thing that you can do. If your soil is too acidic, um, compost will, will bring that towards neutral. If it's too basic, basic, compost will bring it towards neutral. It's pretty amazing. It's, yeah. So the... So then the question comes up, like, where do I get compost, right? And um, that's a very valid question. You can go to, the first place I would go to is my local nurseries and garden centers and ask them, you know, do you have any organic compost? Um, you can get non-organic compost too, but preferably if you can find organic compost, that would be, oftentimes they will potentially have either mushroom compost, that can be a good type of compost, um, they will have like cow manure compost sometimes or animal, animal manure compost. Um, worm castings is another type of compost that is, uh, can be very good for your garden as well. So those are just a few types. If you're going to your local garden centers and you're not finding very much or very good compost, one thing that you can do is you can search for local organic farmers and go to your farmers and ask them, where do you get compost? Sometimes farmers will get compost by the semi-truck load. How do I know? We used to do it, right? When we were farming commercially, we would get it by the semi-truck load. And I wouldn't be surprised if they wouldn't mind selling you a, you know, a truckload of compost because they've got plenty of it, um, you know, depending. Obviously, you have to connect with your farmer and ask them. But that's one of those things about context as well. S search in your local context because we can't tell you this is where you go get compost. Um, it is a little different in every single, in every single area. All right. For if, if for those, I know we have at least one person in here who lives in Middle Tennessee. We there's a there's a a worm farm uh, that's really nice. You can you can go there and and, and buy worm castings uh, in your in your pickup truck and, and haul them home. So, uh, and it, it's beautiful black stuff, very nice stuff. All right, so session five, we're talking about dealing with pests and diseases in the garden. And we're going to cover our three-step now formula for insect pest control when it comes to um, insect pests in the garden. That will include our number one defense against insect problems in the garden. I'm sorry, the second part is our number one defense, and we'll talk about handling diseases and disease prevention in the garden. In this session, we are going to mainly focus on the insect side of pests. I'm going to try and go through it fast enough that we can answer questions if we have questions about larger pests and stuff like that. I know also there is another class in AdAgra, I believe my cousin Joshua is teaching it, on large pest control. So, you know, that resource is there. So I just, uh, uh, I don't want to be doubling up everything that he's teaching as well. Um, so we're going to focus specifically on insect 
pest control here. So number one is the three-step proven now formula for organic bug control. So here is our now formula. It's an acronym. And the first one, N, and it's kind of, it's kind of um, you know, you can remember it because sometimes when you have pests that are taking over your garden, you feel like you need to do something right now, right? You got you to get, get rid of them or get control of the situation right now. So this is the now formula. The first one is N, and it's a little tongue-in-cheek, tongue uh, but it's, it stands for nuke them. Um, you want you you know naturally of course but so let me give you a little context to where we're coming from here. There's an interesting phenomenon, and that is that healthy plants are naturally resistant to insect pests. Think about your body. The healthier your body is, the less you will have disease, right? The less those bugs, right, come in and, and infect your body. It's the exact same thing in the plant world. And actually, there's a whole science behind it of how the, sh <clears throat> how the sugars relate to insects and how compromised stress plants, insects can digest them well, but they can't digest a good, healthy plant well. And we've seen it firsthand in our garden. Compromised plants send off a signal that, that the insect pests pick up on and, and are attracted to them. And, and healthy plants... Um, send out a signal also that causes them to stay away. <laughs> yeah, we, we've seen it firsthand. Probably one of the easiest uh, d demonstrations of it was we had a hoop house that we leveled out before building. So it w the ground was at a slope and we pulled all of basically all the topsoil from one side and moved it over to the other side to make it level. So when we planted some spinach in there, we planted a whole bed of spinach and half of the greenhouse had like a double layer of topsoil basically and the other half all that topsoil had been scraped off so it wasn't very good soil on the other half right and you could visually see the difference in the plants as they were they were growing the ones in the topsoil were much greener much nicer much more lush the ones in the in the worst soil were more yellow smaller leaves a little more stunted obviously stressed right phenomenally you come into the hoop house and all of the stressed ones are just riddled with holes and you walk down to the other end and the big lush greens are untouched right so it, it is it is something that literally actually happens in your garden so with that context when we come to pests we want to we we like to approach the garden from a plant positive perspective rather than a pest negative perspective in other words, we want to focus on building up the health of our plants, not focus on trying to kill all of the pests, right? There comes some times where you have an infestation of pests that is so much that you need to do something right now, right? So this is the context that we're talking about, where all of a sudden you have an infestation of pests, you need to do something right now, otherwise you are going to lose your crop, you are going to lose your, your garden. And we're going to give you some natural ways that you can do that, but... We want to do it in the context of building up the health of your plant at the same time. And this is where a lot of people stop. A lot of people stop right here at nuking the insect. They just want to kill it. They just want to get rid of it, right? But that is just the first step of the now formula, okay? So one is nuke them. You know, get rid of the, get rid of the immediate, pro the immediate um, problem that you have with that pest. The second is that you want to organically fertilize your plant. You want to give your plant an immune system boost. You want to, why do you take vitamin C? Why do you take vitamin D, right? You, you want to give yourself an immune system boost. You want to get that, you want to get healthy. Um, 
so that that bug doesn't come and get you again. Well, like I said, a lot of people start stop with just nuking the insect, but it's just going to come back if your plant stays stressed, right? So you want to you want to deal with the cause uh, of the situation. Organically fertilize your plant, and then number three is water it in well. Give it good immune system boost and water in well. When you're sick, has anybody heard that you should drink lots of water when you're sick? So it's a very similar situation here. Just treat your plants, your plants like you would yourself. Yes. Yeah. I know someone had a question. If we could just hold the questions to the end, we will try and get to them. Absolutely. All right. So here are here's a bonus. This is a few of our best fertilizers. Actually, I showed you one of these earlier. Um, BioThrive is a liquid natural fertilizer that you can use. Uh, and then Down to Earth Vegan Mix is a is the organic Omri listed. <clears throat> plant-based, um, excellent balance of nutrients. Of the two, I would, I would use the down-to-earth vegan mix. It has a better, uh, a better broad spectrum of nutrients for your plants. I'm going to give you an example where I used the BioThrive um, in a minute here. So we have used both, uh, but if I was going to pick one, I would pick the down-to-earth vegan mix. So how do you use it? Because uh, this is an important part of dealing with your insect pests. Remember, it's the organically fertilized. That's like the central part of, of this. Um, the, the box comes with these instructions on it. So don't feel like you have to... I mean, you can write, these, you can write them down. That's fine. But the box comes with, with these instructions on it. You put four to six pounds per 100 feet of bed or one to two tablespoons per plant uh, when transplanting. Or if you're trying to give a plant an immune system boost, you do a similar thing. Um, you would side dress it. You'd, you can side dress adult plants with about a half a cup of it. So basically, you just take a half a cup, you sprinkle it around your plant and scratch it into the soil and then water it in well. Um, for containers, if you're growing in containers, it's about two to four tablespoons per gallon of soil mix in your container. And on the box, it says you can apply once per month during the growing season if you want just a, con a continued. Um, I wouldn't use this like in the long, like I wouldn't take this and, and say, you know, for the rest of my life, I'm going to use this in my garden as the nutrients. Um, I would work on building i would work on those those soil health principles that we talked about and once you get those in place you should have a consistent cycle of nutrients from your soil but this is something that you can start out with and specifically in this context it will be something that you can give your plant an immune system boost so that you don't have these pests coming back to get them we're going to share with you a couple examples here so Let's talk. Uh, let's just go through a few pests and um, talk about what you can do with them. Here's one uh, talking about slugs, finding slug freedom with a proven organic pellet solution. So let's use our now formula. Number one is you want to get rid of the, the immediate slug problem that you're having, and you can do that with a product called Sluggo. You can use Sluggo or Sluggo Plus. It's an iron phosphate control pellet. Um, that the slugs eat, and then they um, they do not make it after they eat it. <clears throat> it also adds iron phosphate into your soil, which is a soil amendment. So it kind of has a kind of a double benefit. There is some controversy. It is it's organic and it's omri omri listed, 
Um, there is some controversy, and I don't know if it's entirely conspiracy theory or if it's or if there is a legitimate. I, I researched into it a little bit and and tried to get a little bit more details on it, but I do not have a definitive answer on it as far as if it is 100% truly organic. So you're welcome to look into that, but it is listed as organic um, is a slug solution. Then what you want to do is organically fertilize your plants to boost their immune system and health. You can use those that BioThrive or down-to-earth vegan mix, and then you want to water your plants in well. So that's what we would do when it comes to slugs. What about squash and stink bugs? Squash and stink bugs control. So Number one, so you're going to notice something here. When it comes to organically fertilizing it and watering it in well, it's kind of the same process each time, right? Um, you're going to go to a good solid fertilizer and then water is water wherever you are. When it comes to actually nuking them or getting rid of the immediate pest problem that you have, um, there are different types of things that you can do for different types of insects. Um, one thing that you can do with squash bugs is you can use, for example, a food-grade diatomaceous earth. Um, that is something that you can sprinkle over your plants. It comes in a powder and it's, it's silica. And when it comes into contact with insects, it breaks down their exoskeleton and that's how it, um, deals with, and then they dry out, right? So now it is, it is on contact. So, you know, if it rains or if it gets wet or something like that, it's not going to be as effective. If it's really humid, it might not be as effective. Yeah, I'll just say I tried it one season in our garden, and it it wasn't as effective as I had hoped it would be. And um, afterwards, I found out somebody suggested that in in humid conditions, it it might not be so effective because it it tends to in very clump in in very small clumps, but it's it still tends to clump, and it's not as effective at at getting on the insects' um, exoskeleton, as he said. So just keep that in mind. Another thing is insecticidal soap. There are organic insecticidal soaps that you can uh, purchase. It, it is an on-contact um, product, so you do have to spray that insect on contact. Like You can't just spray your plant and let the insect run over it later. You have to spray the insect itself. You can handpick them. And we ask us how we know, right? We've we've been out there. Spend what, a lot of time picking squash bugs off. Squash what you plants. can, what you do is you get like a bottle, uh, a mason jar with some soapy water in it, and then you just handpick them and put them into the soapy water. If you're really hardcore, some people will squish them between their fingers. I'm not that hardcore, but I, I prefer like the soapy bottle, right? You just put them in the soapy bottle. Um, <clears throat> Another thing that you can do, I don't have it on here. Actually, I think it's on the next the next one. Um, there are a couple other things that, different ways that you can try and, and deal with bugs like squash bugs. Um, we literally had one of the worst squash bug infestations that I have ever seen in my entire life on the farm years ago. Literally, it was like an apocalypse. We grew a huge field of squash, and you walk out there, and they were crawling over the things. There was babies everywhere. It was it was phenomenal. I, I haven't seen it like that anywhere else. As we worked on building up the health of our soil and, and of our plants over the years, we've gotten to the point where we hardly see a squash bug again um, on our squash. I mean, we grew squash this last year. I don't 
maybe one, maybe two, like not, not a handful. There's not a lot. Um, so the, these principles really work when it, when it comes to, it may take some time to build up the health of your garden, but focus on it because it will pay off in the long run. All right, so then you organically fertilize your plants, boost their immune system, and uh, water your plants in well. All right, bonus tips is keep the garden clean of old plants and debris. Oftentimes, in insects will reproduce in them. Um, use row covers in the early part of the season as a physical control. Crush or remove the eggs of the insects if you see them on the plants. Sometimes you'll find squash bug eggs on the bottom side of the leaves. You can just squash those or get rid of those so that they don't become more squash bugs. And this can be done with a wad of duct tape, sticky side, out. It's an idea from the Reformation Acres blog. By the way, a lot of these, when it says, you know, clean out old plant debris and stuff, when it comes to mulching, you know, that can often be old plant debris, right, that you're mulching with. Um, I have not heard of really bad insect problems due to mulch except for once in my, in, in my experience. And that is uh, we have some friends up in Washington who had a very bad earwig problem. And when they put mulch on their garden, their earwig problem just went out the roof. And it, it was way worse than before. So, again, context, right? you got to figure out what is going to work best for your specific local area. If the mulch isn't working, maybe you should try compost mulch because maybe the earwigs aren't going to, going to reproduce in the compost mulch, right, like they are in the straw mulch. So you've got to figure out what's going to work best in your area. All right. Number four here, how to use our three-step proven now formula to kiss aphids goodbye forever. I say forever because once you've killed them, they're not going to come back. A different one might come back, but not that same one if it's dead. All right, so here's the story. We had these, we had these little transplants, and we, my wife and I went on a trip, and we had some other people caring for them. Anyways, by the time we got home, it wasn't entirely the other pe person's fault, um, they had grown too long in their soil block, and I don't know if they had not gotten enough water or, or what, but they looked like this. They were, they were yellow, riddled with holes, and on the underside of those leaves were aphids. You can't see them in this picture here, but that's what these plants look like. And my wife, Natasha, uh, said, you know, we should, we should just throw these away. And I said, no, wait, wait, I think, that they're, I think there's a chance. So I took them, and I transplanted them out in the garden, and here's the story of what we did. Number one, with aphids, you want to, if you want to get rid of them immediately, you can do it with soapy water. You can use safer brand insect killing soap, or you can just mix a couple squirts of dish soap. It's not going to be 100% organic, but it's an option. You can, a couple squirts. We had a natural dish soap. I just squirted a couple squirts in a little spray bottle with water, mixed with water and sprayed the aphids direct on contact in the, and that will kill the aphids that you, you know, whatever ones come in contact with that soapy water. Next, you want to organically fertilize your plant, boost its immune system. In this case, I used the BioThrive. I wasn't using down-to-earth vegan mix yet, um, but I used the BioThrive, and then we watered them in well. So this is what our plants started looking out like. And um, 21 days later, how would you like to see what our... This is a collard, I believe, a collard plant. So 21 days later, this was our collard. 
plant. So there's a little before and after. So this, this stuff really works. And um, I attribute it mostly to boosting its immune system, honestly. I mean, we, did ha we had to get rid of those aphids. They were causing a problem immediately, right? We needed to water them in well, and we needed to give it an immune system boost. And I don't think we had any problems with aphids with them after that. Um, here's actually one of our gardening members who did the exact same thing. She says, I did as Paul suggested in his case study, sprayed the leaves with soapy water and then fertilized with BioThrive and made sure they were getting enough water and it worked perfectly. So something that you can, is a very practical thing that you can do in your garden. All right. What not to do with tomato hornworms and our no-fail worm caterpillar treatment plan? Worms are another thing that you will have, may have problems with in your garden. And the first thing is to know what to do, and that is to assess the situation. See how many worms you can find and look carefully. See, is this a, is this a significant problem? Is it going to totally eat all of my tomatoes, or is it just one, one worm here and there? And then look, when it comes to tomato hornworms or tobacco hornworms, you want to look for ones that are infected. And I'm going to show you a picture of that. Look for infected ones. This is what one lo will look like if it's been infected. Um, see, see all those little white sacs on it? Does anybody know who ma what makes those sacs? A wasp. a wasp. Yes, you got it. Absolutely. All right. So this is, well, this isn't, actu isn't an actual picture of a braconid wasp. I don't know what wasp it is, but it's just a picture of a wasp. There is a, a wasp called a braconid wasp that lays eggs in tomato hornworms. The larvae eat the hornworm alive, and the larvae pupate when they mature, spinning the little white cocoons on the hornworm. So this is an example. We were talking about diversity earlier, right? And how for every one pest, there's 17,000 beneficials. Some of those beneficials actually kill your pests, right? So who would have thought that a wasp was good? We try and get rid of all the wasps around our area, right? No, no, don't kill all of your wasps. They actually can be beneficial to your garden. And here is a real-life example. This is a tomato hornworm that I had growing on my tomatoes. And I saw that it was infected with this, with this wasp. And so I did not kill this hornworm. I just left it. I let it go. You know, maybe it ate a couple more leaves of my tomato plant. That's what's fine with me as long as I keep, I want these wasps in the area. I want to keep that wasp population alive. So I left it, those wasps, and that's literally what happens over time. The, the wasps eat it alive, and then those wasps are going to be, you know, do whatever they do and become adult wasps, and they'll be able to keep a balance in our ecosystem. So... If you, um, so that's specifically with tomato hornworms. By the way, we had these other little worms on our brassicas and kale and stuff. And later in the season, I, I left my kale. It looked really terrible, but I left it. And the, the worms just ate like all of the kale, right? Later in the season, I came and there were these other wasps. I don't know if it's a braconid wasp or some other type of wasp, but there was these wasps that would fly in and I have video of it. It would fly in. And they would attack these worms and they would eat the worm alive, just on the spot. Like not laying its eggs or anything, but literally killing and eating the worms. It was very interesting. All right. Most of your, your beneficial insects that, that kill pests 
um, most of those are wasps, different varieties of wasps. So um, we kind of give wasps a bad name, but they, they do a lot of good work for us if, we're, if we'll let them. Yeah. All right, so what if you do have a worm problem, <clears throat> a worm or caterpillar problem, um, whether it be on your tomatoes or on your brassicas, your cabbage, you know, kale, there's different caterpillars that come on them. So here's how you can use the now formula. Number one is you can um, nuke them with a product called Dipel. This is an organic worm tr treatment. Uh, the active ingredient is something called BT. It's Bacillus thuringiensis. Um, it's a natural soil-borne bacteria that when a worm eats it, it breaks down the gut inside the worm, and then it can't eat anymore. And within a, a day or two, the worm perishes. Um, yeah, it breaks down the gut and the worm stops eating. So what you can do is you can take this product called Dipel. You can spray or dust it on your plants. Sometimes it comes in a powdered form. Sometimes it comes already mixed in a spray form. Spray it on your plants, dust it on your plants, the worms will eat it and eventually they will um, pass away. Uh, now I will make note that, you know, if you are going to be eating those um, kale leaves or whatever later, then you may want to make sure and wash them well. You know, there isn't, there isn't any scientific, um, there hasn't been any scientific analysis as to, you know, the, whether BT hurts the guts of humans. Uh, they say that it's fine, but I, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't necessarily want to be eating it myself. Right. So it is something that is washable. It washes off and it also in sunlight, um, I believe that within a, a certain amount of time, it breaks down as well, just in sunlight. Like the bacteria cannot handle some uh, direct sunlight for a long time. So. so then the second thing is you want to organically fertilize your plants, boost their immune system or health. You can use BioThrive or down-to-earth vegan mix and water your plants well. So I'm going to show you another example. This is one of our kale plants. Um, that's what it looked actually... Yeah, it's a kale plant. Um, that's what it looked like. We had an infestation of these little worms, and it literally just ate it down to the ribs. I mean, it looks like a skeleton, doesn't it? Literally. And in this case, I don't think I even fertilized this plant. I think that I, I just used the the BT, the the Dipel, um, or an equivalent with the um, with that soil-borne bacteria, and watered them in well. And this is that same kale plant growing back. So you can see I'm holding in my fingers the skeleton, but there's new leaves growing out from the center. Um, it got rid of the immediate problem with the pest and allowed that plant to come back. And, and they thrived. They did really well. They were healthy. All right, what about other beetles and bugs? Um, we'll give you a couple ideas that you can do with them. Um, squash bugs, potato beetles, Japanese beetles, what can you do? Um, one thing is you can vacuum them up. If you have a shop vac or something, you can take that out to your garden and, and literally just vacuum them up. You can spray them with insect-killing soap. We've mentioned that before. It is direct on contact. Um, you can dust the plants with food-grade dyed tomatoes earth. Again, that's something that we have um, talked about before. So I'm just throwing out ideas uh, that you can do. Um, if you're going to dust them with diatomaceous earth, you do want to use a food-grade diatomaceous earth. Uh, put it in a sock, or you can get dusters that 
poof it out um, with air. You, you squeeze it, and it just poofs the powder out. My dad likes the sock best. Yeah, I bought one of those those um, squeeze ones that poofs the powder out. But I, after trying the sock and that, I like the sock better. Yeah. So in our members area, we actually have a visual demonstration of how to use the sock to dust your plants. And you want to organically fertilize your plant, boost its immune system. Um, you probably heard me say that a lot, but that's it's really important. It's really important. Uh, and then water that plant in well. You know, Paul, one thing I wanted to say for the, um, like the Japanese beetles and what was the other one? Potato bugs. Po- potato bugs and things like that. Those, those, all of those beetles um, are originally, you know, they're, they begin their life as grubs in your soil. Have, have you seen grubs in your soil? That's, that's, what, they're, that's what they come from. And um, th- there is a, a, a product called milky spore. It's a, um, it's a bacteria that you can spray on your lawn or your garden area. And, and it, um, it infects the, the grubs and kills them. So uh, that's, that's something, that's one way you can deal with them as well. Another, milky spore, milky spore. Another similar type thing, you've heard of nematodes. There are, you've probably, the ones you've heard of are probably bad nematodes. They cause root, root not nematodes, you know, they, they cause a lot of problems in the garden, but there are good nematodes that are, are beneficial. And, and there are, there are some, some certain nematodes that will infect these grubs also and kill them. And you can, you can buy those online. Um, there, there are stores where you can buy nematodes to kill the grubs. So those, those are two other options you can use. And, and again, you, it's, they're, they're in a product that you would spray on your garden area or lawn. Yeah. All right, so what is the number one defense against insect pests in your garden, insect problems? Number one is set the foundation right. This is going to be a little recap probably. Bugs are a symptom of a deeper problem. Where do plants get their nutrients, right? A healthy soil. You're going to want to focus on that. Soil nutrients, soil structure. Really focus on those principles and encourage biodiversity. You've heard us say it before. We're going to say it again, right? Make sure that you encourage that in your garden. Here are just a few before and after pictures. Um, This was an eggplant covered with, um, what are those called? Little flea flea beetles. They riddle the eggplant leaves. They make it look like um, like lace. And we just fertilized this plant and watered it in well. We didn't even, I don't think I even sprayed them with insecticidal soap. I just fertilized it and watered it. And you can see the on the right there, that was several weeks later. This is some tomato plants. They really needed a fertilizer immune system boost. Um, this is the kale that I showed you just earlier, and of course the collards that I showed you as well. So let's talk about real quick handling diseases in your garden. And we're not going to go into a lot of depth in this, partly because we don't have enough time to go into a lot of depth with it. So I'm going to actually just 
more lay a foundation. It cover. There's a lot of similar foundational principles as with the pests. Diseases and insect pests um, have some similar foundational um, things to them. Uh, the key to truly dealing with most diseases is disease problems is not to focus on them. Choose on have a, choose to have a plant positive approach in your garden. It will go a long way in preventing diseases. Um, there are natural controls for every disease. That's why disease doesn't run rampant and take over our world. For every pathogenic microbe, fungi, or virus, there is some beneficial organism or mechanism that will counteract it, right? Remember, it all starts with stress and that plants are least stressed and thrive best where their needs are met in the growing conditions they are living in. These growing conditions include the amount of light that plants get, humidity levels, temperature, every aspect of how the soil is structured, including the amount of air, water, organic matter, etc. Everything that we've been talking about earlier. Our job as the gardener is to seek and to create the most ideal conditions for our plants to thrive. So <clears throat> I'm going to give you a few ways that you can prevent diseases in the first place in your garden. Uh, we talked earlier about crop rotations. That is a way that you can prevent diseases. Many diseases and pathogens spend part of their life cycle in the soil. And by not planting the same crop consecutively in the same spot, you can reduce that disease pressure on your crops. Um, choose disease-resistant varieties. If you know that you often encounter a particular disease in your garden, look for plant varieties that are resistant to that disease. An example with this is with tomatoes. You may have blight problems with your tomatoes in your garden. Look for tomato varieties that are resistant to an early blight or resistant to a late blight. And most, most seed catalogs, the, the good seed catalogs, they will, they will have in their description, they'll tell you if if that particular variety is, is, has resistance, they'll mention it. If it doesn't have resistance, they probably won't say anything about it. Yeah. But if it does have resistance, they'll usually mention that. Seed catalogs, yep, what my dad just said there about they often mention it in the seed catalogs. All right, avoid warm, moist environments. That's kind of hard to do when you live in a humid environment, right? But it's, it's true that humid environments foster disease more. Um, disease thrives in warm, moist environments, and dry environment, um, such as provided by a hoop house, can often be beneficial in reducing disease pressure. So if you do, li do live in a very humid environment, a hoop house can be beneficial um, with keeping that moisture level down a little bit. You know, your, your tomatoes will not get rained on in the hoop house, so that helps keep a less moist environment in the leaves of your tomatoes. It'll still be humid in there just yeah. because you live in a humid environment. But yeah, there are, there are a number of disease diseases that are waterborne. Yeah, that they're 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 transferred by by water, and so um, tomatoes and and your uh, squash family, melons, and things like that. Uh, both of those families can benefit from being in a drier environment. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, what my dad just said, tomatoes, <laughs> squash, and melons are good for growing in a hoop house. All right. So once again, dead and decomposing plant matter can host disease. And while this is true, it does not seem that a mulch of straw, hay, or wood chips usually host disease. So you do not usually need to be concerned about your mulch layer hosting disease. But the old dead leaves on plants and stuff like that, it can be good to clear those out um, as your plant is growing. I, I would, I would just make an exception there. Um, 
a number of years ago, we, we tried hay mulch around um, summer squash. And then this last summer we did as well. And in both cases, we didn't have the best experience. It, it, it did seem that the, we had more disease pressure. So there, there might be, you know, some exceptions there. Yeah. But. So keep an eye on it for your, you know, part of gardening is kind of that trial and error of seeing what works in your location um, best. Stagnant air can foster mildews and molds. So good ventilation and air movement through your garden is helpful in preventing this, especially if you are in a hoop house or something like that. You want to make sure that it has good air ventilation. Usually outside, it's not as much as a problem unless you are boxed in by trees or something that are causing windbreaks and it never gets any airflow through there. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, and then once again, this is the website that you can go to for the class handouts. Um, and by the end of today, there will be more on there. So just write it down for right now and then come back to it by the end of today. Cause if you go on there right now, there's just a, a small picking to, to download, but we will, we will fill that out, uh, for you. So, um, I say by the end of the t today, but it may be, I mean, we'll have more on there by the end of the day, but we may have even more on there by the end of the conference. Um, so we're just pulling our resources together and getting them up. We're a little bit behind borntogrow.net forward slash adagra. Um, I wanted to go through this quickly so that we could leave a little bit of time for question and answers here. So it looks like we have about 15 minutes. I will say one more thing about the diseases. Um, probably one of the most common diseases is mold and mildews in the garden. For example, blights, that's a, a fungal disease, or you know you have white molds or mildews on your pumpkins or squash or, or something like that. Um, one thing that you can do is milk is an effective um, solution to help stop the growth of molds and mildews. Milk, just cow's milk that you buy at the store. Um, and then there is a product called actinovate, actinovate, um, which is a host of beneficial microorganisms that help combat. So you basically, you're buying the good ones that eat the bad ones. You they're know, they're bacteria that, that eat fungi. Yeah. So you can... <laughs> you can eat even, harmful fungi. You can even mix that with a milk solution and spray both of those onto your fungal problem. Oftentimes, it won't necessarily 100% reverse the fungal problem, but it can very... Um, it can stop it from continuing to spread or stop it from continuing to um, there there are actually a, a number of they they call them biofungicides biofungicides there are a number of active actinovate is one of them um, serene is one or surround is one um, surround yeah yeah double nickel um Trying to remember. Any, anyway, those are the main ones that I remember. Yeah, those are ones that we've tried, um, but there there are a number of different ones out there. So you can you can just kind of look for biofungicides. Yeah. All right, we have some. Uh, we have a little bit more extra time this time. We have about fifteen minutes um, to answer questions and answer. So if you have questions about this or about something else. Um, now would be a great time. Yes. Yeah. So the question is, how often do you organically fertilize? Is in this context, 
Um, in this context, for most of these, I just did it that one time when I was showing you the examples. Um, if you know that your soil is deficient, um, you know, you can't like, for example, on the down to earth vegan mix, they suggest putting a side dressing of about a half a cup, like once a month through the growing season. Like that's, that's their recommendation for using it. Now I would encourage building a soil environment that has good nu nutrient cycling so that you don't need to be constantly amending it from the outside. Right? So that ultimately is the ideal is to not have to be continually amending it and to only use this when you need to give your plant a little immune system boost. Um, so that does that help answer that question? Yeah. All right. We have one in the back and then we'll come up to you. Oh no. Oh, that is a problem. Yes. You yeah. know, it, I haven't, I guess, I guess what you would want to do is make sure you're not, um, putting it on flowers. Let me just repeat it. The, yeah. the, there was a problem with the diatomaceous earth killing honeybees. Yeah. So I, I think if you don't apply it to flowers, you probably will be okay. Cause I, you know, generally it's safe. For honeybees, but I can see if they if they got into the flower, they they would they would definitely get it, and that would be a problem. Yeah, yeah, and that is, and, and that brings up a good point. In most of these things, we try and be as specific as possible to the pest, because you do not want to be killing off your beneficials, which is something that happens a lot with just mass insecticides, right? You just spray the whole field, and it kills all the beneficial ones as well as the bad ones. But you, we don't want to do that. And so some of these are able to do that more effectively than others. For example, the dipel. It only affects the worms. It's not affecting the other insects in your garden. So that's very nice. Diatomaceous earth is a bit more of a broad, you know. And so you got to kind of have to weigh that balance. And once again, you know, try and try and work the best you can to boost the, the health of your garden so that you don't have to use it in the first place and use it. And over time you'll use it more and more minimally. Yes. I think we, we had, this, yeah. 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 Excellent. Excellent question. So the question was, how do you fertilize and on fertilizers, there's three numbers and what do they mean? So, um, number one, how do you fertilize with the, so BioThrive is actually a liquid and so you would just mix it. It's a liquid concentrate and you'd mix it with water and then water your plant with it. Um, down to earth vegan mix is a powder. And the way that you do that is you take like a half a cup of the, of the powder. It's like rock powders and kelp meal and all of these natural ingredients that are ground up together. And you would sprinkle it around your plant and then scratch it into the soil. And, and I'm talking about just the top half inch of the soil. You just want to scratch it in. You can do it with a little fork or something. And then you want to water it and the water will help pull that down as well as the life in your soil. Those microbes are going to come up and help pull those nutrients down um, to the plant as well. So that's how we would, that's the practical of how we would fertilize with it. Um, and then do you want to do the numbers? Okay. The, the, the numbers are, the first number is for nitrogen. The second number is for phosphorus. And the third number is p for potassium. It's it's telling you how much of of each of those um, nutrients is in that product. So um, it's a, it's a very common thing for fertilizers, um, organic and non-organic fertilizers, to have those three numbers on them, so that farmers or gardeners will will know 
you know, what to expect out of it. Those are the yeah. three base nutrients that plants yeah. need. Plants need many more micronutrients as well, but those are like the three main yeah. core ones. Yeah, but they're always in that order. Nitrogen first, phosphorus, and then and potassium. Yeah. NPK is the, the yeah. chemical number for potassium. So sometimes people talk about NPK as well. Yeah, excellent. I think we had one in the front here. Okay. Yeah, what effect does diatomaceous earth have on birds? Uh, it's good for them to eat it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's actually, believe it or not, people use it medicinally as well. They yeah. ingest it internally. Food people who are, who are raising animals, uh, chickens and, and other animals, will often mix it into their feed as it, they, they feel like it, it has, um, what do you call it, a, a anti-parasite effect, yeah. And, and uh, people do it for themselves, too, for that reason. And they also say because it's high in, in, in silica, that it's, it's good for your hair and nails and things like that. So um, you want to, when you buy diatomaceous earth, you want to make sure you, you buy what's called food-grade diatomaceous earth. It's called food-grade because it is food-grade. It's, it's something that can be added to, to feed. But um, there, is a, there is a kind of diatomaceous earth that's used in pool filtering that is, is very dangerous. Um, you know, if you if you happen to breathe that in, it 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 could it's like asbestos. You know, it's it's very dangerous. So you, you don't want to you want to stay far away from that. Yeah. So the question is: Is the insecticidal soap different than the soap that you would mix yourself and how you would use it on the plants? So the soap you mix yourself is just going to be whatever soap you know kitchen dish soap that you could, you find. There are some that are more natural than others. There are some like Castile something soap that is like ultimately pure soap that is technically organic. And so you can, you would even you could consider that organic. Ultimately, you're going to use the same, use them in the same way on your plant. It's just the more, you know, the more chemicalized your kitchen soap is, you know, those are chemicals that you're ending up putting in your garden, right? So it's just whether you're wanting to be ultimately purely organic or not. Um, in this case, we had like a Melaleuca, very natural kitchen dish soap. Was it 100% organic? I'm not sure. But in the very small quantity that I put on those little tiny plants for the, for the um, aphids, I wasn't too concerned about it. I would do the exact same thing with the insecticidal soap, though. Mm -hmm. Use it in the same way. Yeah. Yeah, so the question is about using milk uh, for fungal treatment in the garden. Yeah, you... Um, I believe the ratio is one to ten on 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 milk. Yeah, one one part milk to ten parts water. And um, I I did a fair bit of reading on it several years ago, and they, you know, there there were some purists who were saying that it has to be unpasteurized milk. Other other people I was reading and, and studies that were done that actually proved that it does have a beneficial effect um, didn't use pasteurized uh, you know unpasteurized milk they just use normal milk and it doesn't seem to make any difference whether it's skim milk or full cream milk um, 
it, you know, it's it's not in the. They don't know what the what the beneficial action is, but um, it doesn't seem to be in the cream, anyways. <laughs> so y you can use any any kind of milk. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yes, and I I, w I would say another thing though is if you can keep your strawberries cleaned very well. Make sure that all the dead leaves are, are picked off, any, any dead flowers. You, you have to keep them very clean. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very important because um, we, we raise quite a few strawberries and, and have similar conditions. Okay, yeah, we, you can do that. We, we have strawberries in the hoop house right now. And the nice thing about that is that we normally would, would begin um, protecting our flowers to, to keep them from from freezing in uh, the beginning of March and and then we would start harvesting strawberries in in the middle of April usually something like that outside but we found in the hoop house we can start protecting the flowers the beginning of February and start harvesting like the middle of March so you can get an extra month of harvest and and last year we um, we continued harvesting from the hoop house the full time that they were harvesting in the field as well. So we got an extra month of, of strawberries, which that was really nice. It does. You can get it in anywhere from just this is like a six-pound box up to 50 pounds. You might be able to get pallets loads. I don't know, but you can get up to 50 pounds pretty easily. Oh, you know, in our, in our hoop house, um, we have it open. So the, the sides go up, and, and we, we have the, the end walls very open, especially the top end walls. I've, I've gone to just taking everything out on the whole top in the summer, and then I put it back up there in the winter because we, we need all the ventilation we can get. And, and so uh, birds and, and bees and anything that wants to can come and go. We don't have a sterile hoop house. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and then the other benefit is like in the winter when you do want your hoop house closed up, that's when you're going to be growing crop. And we'll touch on this in the next session, but you're going to be growing crops that you're eating the leaves off of them. So you don't, you don't really need those insect, the insects yeah, there. When, once the it's closed up, it, you don't have insects yeah. anyways. So it's, it's really not an yeah. issue. Excellent question. Yeah. yeah. So with strawberries, Um, we, we are still trying to figure that out. You know, we, we have, what we have learned is that the, the very best strawberry production seems to come from growing the strawberries on plastic. That means you have, you, you have a, a, a plastic mulch on the bed. We, we've tried it without the plastic mulch and, um, you know, if, if you have hay on the on the strawberries or, or straw, it the 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 soil doesn't warm up as quickly, and so you'll they'll start bearing later. You can get them to bear earlier by having the the black plastic mulch on them. So that that allows you to have a longer harvest off of them because once it gets hot, they just don't produce. Um, we have we have tried a, a woven fabric, you know the the landscape fabric. We've we've tried that as a mulch, and um, that worked. But 
we we try to a bed of of plastic mulch side by side with the the woven mulch there was a visible difference in the size and the and the health of the the plants in the the, the plastic mulch was so much better. So we, um, we are right now, we have one bed in our hoop house that has uh, a mix of, of compost and, and peat moss that, that we're growing strawberries. And we, we would like to see if we can grow them without mul the plastic mulch. You know, I just don't like the, <laughs> the plastic if I could avoid it. But so far, we haven't found the, uh, a system that, that does anything better or even equal to the, the plastic mulch. Yeah. So. Um, and one little tip is if you are thinking of using a compost mulch. So we decided to try doing like a compost peat moss mix, like a half and half. Um, one thing that we found with that is that the peat moss dries out really easily. And once the peat moss gets dry, it doesn't gather moisture very well it just repels moisture mostly so you have to really wet it down and and then keep it moist what like once it's moist it will stay moist if you water it regularly um, but that's something to consider regular compost does not have that um, that issue just regular compost by itself yeah. um, all right let's take one more question and then we're gonna we're gonna take a break Very good yeah, question. Yeah. Very good question. To my knowledge, it does not affect the earthworms. Um, there's now. I'm, I'm quite sure it doesn't because it's a it's a it's naturally a, a soil. It's a soil born, born bacteria. Bacteria and and earth. you are spraying it directly on your plants. So you know technically you shouldn't get a lot of it on the soil, um, which the earthworms would not get anyways. But yeah, to my knowledge, it does not. All right, excellent questions. We're going to take a little break. We're going to be talking about winter growing, extending your season into the winter, and um, practical ways that you can do that. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.